Thank you, sorry. Um. you could get a sense um, of you know what you've put in to the time here and to your practice and hopefully you could get a sense of really appreciating that can you hear me is that a no How's that? It worked? Good. (coughs) Okay. um, Yeah, it's really, really important to to have that sense of appreciation, you know, almost independent of what you, how you assess the results from the perspective of the mind state right now. The mind state with hindrances, not hindrances, and we judge this or that, how it's going, how I am, how my practice is, etc. Success, failure, but just independent of that to to really um, be able to appreciate the efforts and the dedication and the consistency. So I know uh, certainly, as Robert said before he left and Kirsten before she uh, went on retreat and Sari and I, we really, really appreciate what you've put in to your practice and the efforts you've made your willingness to work and play um, your love of exploration all that and i hope i hope uh, that you have got a got a little taste a little sense of the beauty of this kind of practice and a little sense perhaps of of um of its possibilities, the possibilities here and, and the kind of art and magic that can be involved. I think, I know at least some of you have, have that sense. So I hope you got a little taste of the loveliness and um, and I know that for everyone it will have been difficult and, and it has been difficult and challenging in different, lots of different ways at times. And that's also part of what we need to appreciate in ourselves, our willingness to just keep showing up and keep working and playing when it's difficult in all these different ways. And we've talked about, you know, the, the difficulties that come when we have a desire or desires, an aim, a goal, a direction. The difficulties that come when we want to stay steady with a certain intention over not just an hour, but over days and weeks and then years or whatever. Um, the inner critic, the self, the, the, you know, the propensity in our culture for self-measurement, self-judgment, these are all, this is all part of the, the difficult terrain that we have to kind of somehow navigate, somehow relate to wisely um, with these kinds of practices. So really thank you for all of that. It's, it involves a lot. You know, it's a big deal. 
So transitioning out of the retreat, you know, you've all done lots of retreats before, is a little bit different, this retreat. It's different than, say, um, some retreats where you really close the senses and you're really looking, really narrowing down to a microscopic attention. Usually the transition from that kind of retreat is quite, um, can be quite jarring, needs a lot of care. Um, and you've been, you know, if you've been really slowing down, etc. But here, because we've had this emphasis on more openness of awareness, more inclusion of appreciation in the senses, that kind of sort of um, trauma of sudden sense stimulation is n- usually not such an issue on this retreat. It shouldn't be such an issue. What may be, what may be m- more asking for a little more care is is the heart. And sometimes, again, on this country, the heart becomes very open, very sensitive in, in lovely ways. And so that, that needs some care as you move, uh, take your journeys home, wherever you're going, um, as you encounter friends and family again, as you move through the coming days. Do you know, do we know how to take care of our heart? And wh- what does that really mean? That's, that's a huge subject, huge subject. What does it mean to take care of the sensitive heart? Actually, I don't know. How was breakfast for you? With the <laughs> was some of you a bit buzzing after that? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, depends again on what kind of retreat. But um, that's quite a lot of sense stimulation. Suddenly talking and and the room full of people talking. Um, probably a lot of energy gathered over three weeks and uh, etc. Quite loud. Um, so what does that kind of what that what does that kind of buzz need if there is such a thing? And in terms of caring for the heart, you know, when when we, um, when you go wherever you're going, um, caring, caring for the heart, caring for your relationships, the relationships with the people in your life and your loved ones, um, which means also caring about what you share, or how you share, or when you share, and with whom. So it's you might be super excited about what you've you know, uncovered, discovered, um, or you might be just one event um, after the retreat or whatever it is, but uh, who am I sharing with? And is it the right moment? Are they in the right space? Am I in the right space? Why am I sharing? What am I looking for here? So it's not, of course, sharing is really, really important, but sometimes we, like everything, we need to be attuned because if it's not the right time for this person, or they're not really a person who's actually that interested, or I'm wanting something and I'm not fully conscious that I'm wanting something from the sharing, and I'm not clear that I'm want with the other person, this is what I want. When I share, I would like you to listen this way, or I would like this kind of interest, or that kind of interest, or whatever it is. That's also, you know, to care for that, which means to enter into that with, with awareness, responsiveness, attunement, you know, this is also really, really important in terms of caring for the heart. So, um, you know, hopefully everyone's going back to a a full and engaged life of of practice, both informally and formally, um, in terms of daily, daily practice. Um, I, this is, so this is mostly what I'd want to, I want to talk about now. I feel that most people do better if they have periods in their life where they're kind of decided to explore 
a certain practice or a certain element of a practice. So just as we have here, we're doing jhanas and we talked about a playground and all that. Now, but this could apply to any practice. So you could go home now and decide, well, actually, I want to do meta practice or whatever it is. But just the idea of having a period, a week, a month, six weeks, three months, whatever it is, some delineated period where I'm, gonna, I'm intending to explore this in my daily sitting, perhaps also in my informal practice off the, off the cushion. And I have a playground. And then after that period is finished, after a week or whatever, then I review. I'm this is oh, I'm really learning a lot. I want to keep going. I'll do another week or another month or whatever it is. Or that was good, but I want to do something else now. And then you set another period. Um, again, the intention is steady, and there's a playground, a learning playground. I, not everyone, but I tend to feel that people learn and develop much much better that way. Um, and within that, within the playground, there needs to be creativity, experimentation, playfulness. Act you need to actually play and practice. So with the steady intention, with the playground, then I just have fun and I try this and I try that and I'm doing different things. A lot of them really small, small little things. Um, so this applies to all practice. We've talked about it a lot on this retreat in terms of jhanas, but actually it applies to all practices, all practices. So oftentimes people don't uh, or find or kind of sort of only really make progress on retreat. And outside of retreat, I'm just kind of treading water and just kind of putting my time in and the practice just kind of, kind of, or maybe even falling apart. And, and usually it's because they're not allowing themselves to play. They're not allowing, I'm not allowing myself to be creative um, within this steady intention and playground. And of course, it dries up. There's no juice there. There's no uh, creative, playful input. So we can think of, and I think it's a really good idea to think of kind of different practice, I don't know, streams, you know, so that, you know, a lot of stuff comes up in our, in our lives at home and work and whatever. And sometimes it can be just a, oh, this has come up and now this has come up. And so, okay, this is what I'm trying to deal with. This is what I'm trying to sit with. This is what I'm trying to meet. And there's a place for all that, but we could also, have this idea, now this is what I'm exploring, I'm exploring this practice, I'm exploring that practice, and then this or that comes up at work or in relationship or whatever, and because I'm exploring this practice right now, then that d suggests certain ways of working with what's coming up, as opposed to I'm just putting time into sitting and then kind of trying to cope with what comes up in my life. So just as on this retreat, we had a certain preference in terms of how we would work with emotions, right? Um, if it was a different retreat, if it was a retreat about emotions, that preference would be reversed and we would be do doing lots of different things. But the practice determines how I am with what comes up. You understand? <coughs> um, so if we think of different practice streams, you know, you've got the whole insight ways of looking thing, you've got samadhi and jhana practice, you've got soul-making dharma, you've got brahma-viharas, you've got emotions, emotional awareness, emotional skill, the whole realm of psychology and being inquiring and being skillful uh, with one's psychology. Um, one could take just the some of the elements of right speech and have periods where I'm, I'm just exploring... Um, 
the expression of what is difficult, of what's hard for someone to hear. And that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm most interested in in the next few weeks. Or I'm exploring generosity, to having a theme and really, really exploring that. There's many, many possibilities. The four foundations of mindfulness, or one foundation of mindfulness. Or if one's going back to a life of activism and engagement, what, how to really make that practice. And it's very hectic and very intense. Um, and within these different streams of practice, we can have different... Uh, we, we have our different playgrounds. So within jhana practice, we still have our different playgrounds. Within insight ways of looking, we have the different playgrounds. Um, someone was asking, is it possible to explain, you know, I've talked in the past about skillful fabrication, now we're talking about unfabricating, and what's the relationship between those two, and then what's the relationship between those two and jhana practice and emptiness and soul-making? And um, I've talked about that elsewhere. It's complex, uh, but it's really, really important to understand. I think for now, what might be important is just to think in terms of these different streams of practice, where my playground is, and um, listening and reading in, uh, in collaboration with whatever my playground is, so that in time, I, I begin to understand more the conceptual frameworks and uh, of each practice and how each relates to the other, etc. And we can have a big uh, mandala of different practices, and it fits like a mandala. It fits very coherently together to make something very beautiful. So it might be, you know, periods for, for example, jhana practice, and you might feel after this retreat, oh, that's what I want to do. But it doesn't have to be. Um, and uh, just to say as well, you know, if you if you choose insight ways of looking, as uh, if you pick up on this idea and you want to choose something like insight ways of looking, then how much, uh, how much, it's really good to do samadhi practice or brahma vihara practice in combination with, or to balance out the insight ways of looking how much, what the ratio is, whether it's 50-50 or even 80-20 or 20-80 or whatever it is, um, you can experiment with that. But it also doesn't need to be in the order. F like I said, first I, do my, first I do my samadhi and calm my mind down and get my focus and then I do my insight. It doesn't have to be that way. I'm feeling wretched and restless and agitated and pissed off and confused. I bring in, I could do my samadhi, I could bring an insight way of looking to that. And if it's working, because it, as we've talked about, because there's the release of clinging there, etc., it should calm things down and then open things up and then I can go to my samadhi. So don't really get out of this whole idea of there's an order. First I prepare my mind with the concentration and then I do my insight. It, doesn't, it really doesn't need to work that way. Um, and of course, if you're choosing different themes, there are, um, you know, there may be the, I'll come back to this later, but there's, there's the possibility of, you know, working together, making groups, connecting with each other and having themed groups where you practice together with a certain theme for a while. Um, like, for example, right speech or an element of right speech or generosity. And you go out and you play with something in the week uh, with generosity. You come back and you compare notes. And you really see, wow, the power of that, and you learn from each other. Um, and of course, there may be groups where there is a, a teacher and, and things like that. And, uh, um, I'm hoping, one of the things I hope um, before I die, is that um, 
uh, will be able to, uh, how shall we say, um, I don't know what the word would be, but make make it uh, make it clear in these different streams of practice, like who who uh, um, who's a sort of qualified teacher in 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 this stream of practice or in that stream of practice. I'm hoping um, that that will be possible. I've only made a very little very little headway with that, but I'm really hoping that that will be possible. So. Uh, you can kind of know where to go if you want to explore this practice or that practice. Um, in the meantime, though, there is already running an emptiness group online uh, that meets t- every two weeks, I think. And it, Sari is uh, teaching with Nathan, and Yuha hasn't started yet because he's been on retreat for three months, but he will be uh, one of the teachers. And Susie Keeley, who most of you probably don't know, and Yahel, um, who's a teacher in Israel. And uh, so that ig- exists in, in the meantime. Um, and, and very lovely from what I've heard. And, and for people who want to explore emptiness, that you, you, will, you can learn a lot there and share together and benefit from that. So I think Nathan will put up some info for that uh, on the board afterwards. Yeah. Um, So just in terms of jhana practice, you know, jhana, the, the, the arising of jhana or the arising of samadhi depends on a lot of conditions. A lot of conditions need to come together. It's very, very, very possible off retreat. So it's not something that needs to be confined to retreat. If, it is, if you find it's confined to retreat, then the question is, why is it confined to retreat? It's dependent on conditions, okay? Um, someone asked me, um, do, do I have to avoid orgasm to in, order to ha- in order to practice jhana? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So where does this idea come from? Um, or I have to avoid sex, or I have to have a special diet, or something like that. What, was the, what, what, what is it we have to not have? Huh? Yeah, entanglement. Entanglement, hindrance, entanglement in the hindrances. It's not even that we need to not have the hindrances, entanglement in the hindrances. So withdrawn, when the Buddha says withdrawn or in seclusion from the hindrances, it means withdrawn from entanglement, not entangled in whatever is going on in my life. That's the condition. That's that more than anything else. So it's not that, oh, I've got a busy job or this or, or that or, or whatever. Or relationships tricky at the moment. It's how much the heart and mind are entangled. That's what makes the difference. Um, so it's, it's th- you know, it's certainly not true that uh, one has to be celibate or not have sex or only practice sort of Taoist non-ejaculatory orgasms or whatever it is. There is that teaching out there and that has its place and, and whatever. Um, but sometimes it gets people who are into that get a little bit... Um, a little bit limited in in the view, you know. So whether an orgasm um, brings energy or depletes energy again is dependent on a lot of a lot of factors. So we're lay people, and and if that's part of your life, you have to you have to really explore this, you know. Whether sex and orgasm depletes energy or or, or actually um, 
allows energy depends on you know things like what what was the quality of love? What was the quality of soul connection involved? Uh, the openness. These, that's much more significant than um, regarding energy than, than the fact of orgasm or something. Um, and much more significant in terms of jhanic availability and that sort of thing. And similarly with diet, you know, we can get these ideas. We have to find out for oneself. And I speak as someone who's got a, you know, absolutely tormented digestive system for the last 35 years or something, um, find out for you what works. I just don't, don't buy the theories, you know, they have to, don't come in, uh, don't be within 150 meters of a clove of garlic, um, because it, it's just not, you know, find out if it's true for you or not. Um, and sometimes we get, what's it, the Ayurveda, is it sattvic and, is that the? What's the, what's the first one? The high, the pure one? Sattvic, yeah. So don't get the sattvic neurosis uh, uh, about all this, you know. Um, experiment, play, creativity, you know, willingness to play in practice, but also around practice with stuff like diet and wha whatever else. It's really, really important. So you can discover a lot, a lot, a lot on your own, a lot about all these kinds of things. And, all being well, the recordings from this retreat should be available sometime. Um, and they should be, I'm hoping they'll be very, very helpful. And helpful now, as soon as you get hold of them, and helpful for, in fact, years to come. There's a tremendous amount of information on them. Um, you may not realize, but it, it, it's probably almost impossible to pick up all that information just in the three weeks, as in the first listening. A lot of the questions, you, you know, naturally you'd have were, were in fact already there, already given. It's just too much information, so it's there, and they should they should be uh, helpful. I hope. Um, and in terms of samadhi practice, you know, don't forget about things like we had the. Do you remember right on the opening we did that counting with the breath? Um, is it? It's. It takes a little while to get used to, but for some people it will be a really potent practice, really, really useful. It can feel really awkward at first with the long breath and the counting, whatever, but something like that, really worth developing. You know. So think, think about all the tools that you might have. One, or I think one of the lovely things about jhana practice is, um, especially if we do it this way, where there's a kind of emphasis on marinating and mastery, is that you could go away and not do any retreats for a year and then come back on retreat and it's a bit like putting a bookmark in a book and leaving it on a shelf for a year and you open the book again and the bookmark is in the same place. Your playground, uh, your edge playground is, is pretty much in the same place if I've practiced in this way that we've emphasized with the mastery and the marinating and the staying and not just rushed through. So that's a very lovely thing. In other words, you don't need to be in a rush to, and, and a kind of, you know, slightly tight, I need to keep up my jhana practice, otherwise next time I'll go on retreat, it won't be there. It doesn't need to be like that. There is this kind of mysterious bookmark um, magic thing as well. But I hope too, you know, we've talked about, or it's become, y you know, it was clear that it was like really important to talk about um, other larger questions, meta questions about 
desire, for example, and the relationships with desire, and what goes on for us with desire, and what's included in my desire, and what exactly is my desires, are my desires. Meta questions about desire and about conceptual frameworks. Um, I hope that that uh, you're beginning to realize that these things are important and that those questions become actually part of your practice, the exploring of the relationship with desire, the exploring of the relationship with conceptual frameworks and the exploring of conceptual frameworks. So even understanding that conceptual frameworks are important to understand, that's already something that's really, really major, huge. You know, I think I've already said, but without it, without a conceptual framework, um, dramatic experiences can just be like, there's a wow, um, but they don't actually liberate very much, or they're not very transformative. Uh, they're not very helpful. They're not as opening as they could be. It's the conceptual framework that gives power to the experience. Um, or it may be without a conceptual framework or with a conceptual framework that isn't quite coherent or that's a bit kind of incongruent. It doesn't really fit together with itself or it doesn't fit together with the way I'm practicing. This can just actually create confusion or a kind of myopia in practice where one, one's just looking at the experience that I've just had and is sort of a bit mesmerized by the experience, but it doesn't really reach out and, and spread its effect in the life. Or, even, even more pro problematic, there can be, because, because of that, a kind of narrowing of what our practice is. Some of the no, 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 people have been doing the same practice for 20 years. Why? Because there's no conceptual framework. So even they're not quite sure how that practice fits in with the rest of the Dharma or other practices. Uh, so the whole dharma can shrink and the whole uh, sense of what practice can shrink, uh, what practices can shrink. So I really hope that, um, I hope you feel that you, you've learnt um, not, not just about samadhi and jhanas and that sort of thing, but also about desire and your patterns um, with desire and having goals and an aim and a direction and staying steady with intention. All, all, this, all that stuff mirrors our life. So whatever we've bumped into here around desire, around feeling confined in a certain intention, I want to do this, I want to do that, uh, feeling restless within it, whatever patterns around that, whatever problems we experience when, when we set a, a goal or an aim, or a fear of doing so, all that on retreat, it, it just mirrors life. Same, the same thing. Um, inner critic, the difficulty to sustain, you know, singleness of intention, the wobbling, the ambivalence. Am I, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? I, sh I should be somewhere else. Um, the doubt, the hindrances, becoming papancha and then becoming so convincing. This is life stuff. It's not, it's not just retreat stuff, meditative stuff. It's life stuff. Feeling imprisoned in a form, in an intention, in a group, in a relationship. This is life stuff. All of that. So, you know, I hope that you, because we've talked about it, we kept returning to this, I hope that you can really see this. these elements are really, really important sort of meta-elements in relation to practice but of course in relation to our life, of course.
course. And as I said several times on retreat, they may end up being much more important than whether I attain this or that jhana. How I am with these things, what I learn with these things. Um, so there's all kinds of streams of practice, and within that there's different playgrounds that one might have. Um, and as I said, there's, there's groups, and, and some sometimes it's really, really we learn better with each other. Um, so we, then we might find a group where there's a teacher or teachers or whatever, and that's great, but also peer groups, you know, working together, as I mentioned before. I was thinking about this. I'm not sure if jhana practice would work so well as a peer group. Maybe it, w- maybe it would. I d- I'm not sure, but my sense is it might be a little more tricky with people being in different places or progressing at very different rates or whatever, again, because of lots of different conditions, lots of different conditions. Um, but it might, something to find out. Um, something like emptiness or studying emptiness or soul-making, um, for example, may work much better in terms of sangha groups together, study groups, practice groups together, peer groups together. Um, and it might be that jhana practice is is more of a solitary endeavor. I don't know, but you, if you want to experiment, find out. But again, actually, it's interesting with regard to groups because, you know, as we've stressed so much um, about the necessity of clarity um, with regard to what are the what's the precise mix of my desires. So for my practice, for my life, for this retreat, or for a group that I go to, that I form or I'm part of. What, what exactly am I wanting? What's, what, what, what are the confluences of my desires and my intentions? So on a soul-making retreat, for example, um, s- many of you have been on soul-making retreats, some of you have been on soul-making retreats. You know, there's lots of dyad practice or triad practice, um, relational practice in the retreat, um, lots of sharing of images and experiences, lots of intimacy that way, lots of relational practice. Um, but then very easily it might be that, of course, one feels very touched by that sharing and by that intimacy. And uh, without realizing it, you go and form a soul-making, as oh, let's form a soul-making group together. But actually, I'm not careful, I'm looking, oh, actually my desire is really for the sharing and the sangha, primarily, and less for the soul-making. What I really want is the set sharing and the sangha, which is a fantastic desire. It's a really, really important desire. I want connection, I want intimacy with other practitioners, I want that sharing. But if I'm going to a, if I've set up or going to a soul-making group and actually without realizing it and without the others realizing it, I'm actually wanting sangha primarily. Am I still not soul-making? Maybe it's just secondary. Um, then because of the importance of what I actually desire, because of the determinative effect of what I actually desire in the mix, the soul-making will not blossom so well, because I'm actually coming at it wanting something else. Do you understand? (coughs) So groups can fall apart. I've seen groups trying to set up, trying to set up, not really happening, not really happening. What's that? People are not clear about what they're going for. And, And so it's not really getting off the ground. 
Um, or you set up a group about a certain theme and it somehow just becomes a general Dharma group or a general let's just sit, sit together because it's nice to sit together and then we'll kind of share about whatever. All of that's great. And so if that's clear, then that can be the primary intention. The, the point, the larger point, which I've said so many times on this retreat now, is about the importance of being aware of what my intention is because that will determine what unfolds. So some people are in the group wanting soul-making, for example, and some people are just wanting sangha, or primarily wanting sangha, that group is going to be frustrating, probably for both, but certainly for the people wanting the soul-making. Do you understand? <coughs> um, and so just staying with that idea of soul-making, it's certainly true that soul-making practices will, will um, build and grow the sense of sangha. Absolutely they will. For sure they will, because of all that lovely intimacy and sharing but this th it's the, the primacy of intention and our intentions and desires and what they are the primacy of that in determining what's possible and what unfolds in a group or again it could be that we, we, we have a group or or even just my dharma practice and and the intention is 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 uh, oh it's because I want to kind of rectify my energy problems or my energy constrictions, um, or I want to heal my energy blocks, um, and not whatever the group was set up for soul making dharma or this this or that or even just dharma in general, and again that lack of clarity or lack of honesty um, about what the intentions are will will have a ha will have an effect. Same same issues. So this is all stuff to think about going forward. It's all, uh, I, f I feel, r really important stuff. But let's, let's end now. Um, I, wanna is I wanted to say thank you to my three helpers. So I see Nick here and Lawrence, but I don't know if Leia's here. Don't She's not here. Well, it's 10 to 12, so. Um, so yeah, I thank you to, from to Nick and Lawrence and Leia, who's, who's not here. Um, because I certainly wouldn't have been able to get here every day, and <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been able to do this wi without you guys. So it's really hugely appreciated. And um, thank you to Sari and to Kirsten and to Robert, who's who's left again. Um, just so valuable your help and your input and um, being there and working together and. Um, couldn't have happened, couldn't have happened without you guys. So. Um. Okay, why don't we? Um. Let's just take a moment to to dedicate from our practice together. So just as Sari led us beautifully before, see if you can open to connect with a sense of appreciation for your efforts. 
just bypassing the whole question of success, failure, and how well you practiced or what you achieved. It's actually impossible to know quite what the fruits of our practice are and will be as time unfolds, as conditions meet other conditions, as what has ripened and matured and been worked on here ripples out into the world in so many different ways. It's impossible to know what the fruits are. It's impossible to assess, measure, or judge that. Know that you have shown up. Know that you have been willing repeatedly to work through the difficult, through the challenging, through the lovely. That you've been curious. Can you see in that the beauty of your intention over and over, the beauty of your intentions, countless moments of intention, countless, countless rain into the sea. All those raindrops of beautiful intention, of willingness, of courage, dignity, nobility, effort, wisdom, responsiveness. All that makes karma. It has effects. We don't know. We cannot know all the effects. In the wide, wild mystery of things, we cannot know the course of all that water, all the ripplings out. But somehow, in the mystery of interconnectedness, in the mystery of dependent arising, may the goodness and beauty of our intention, of our work, of our efforts, May it be for the benefit of those near and dear to us, those who are close to us in life. May it ripple out to touch them, to bless them.
perhaps in obvious ways, perhaps in not obvious ways. May they receive the fruits and the blessings of our practice. And all those beings whom we don't really know, but who we encounter in our everyday movements in the world, living their lives, struggling as we do with body, with mind, with relationship. We don't know them, brief encounters here and there. Somehow, may they too receive the blessings and the fruits of our practice. beings, we will never meet face to face, we will never encounter directly. Again, somehow, perhaps in obvious direct ways, somehow in the mystery of things, in not so obvious ways, in indirect ways, May they too be touched, be blessed. By the goodness and beauty of our intention. May they receive the blessings and the fruits of our practice. Mm. For those whose lives are caught up in war, living in fear, not in safety. May they receive the fruits and blessings of our practice.
was tormented in mind and heart. Not at ease. May they receive the fruits and blessings of our practice. in the world living in areas of famine, of shortage, of scarcity. May they receive fruits and the blessings of our practice. And for all those beings, human and non-human, whose lives have become hounded by ecological devastation, who have to flee their homes, their homelands, practice be of benefit, be of support. beings everywhere, without exception, receive the fruits and the blessings of our practice.
Thank you again. Go safely wherever you're going and um, practice with intelligence, with playfulness, with love and, and with enjoyment. Yes. So I don't, does anyone know what we do with cushions and all that? And in the cupboard, okay. Sorry, and me black the counter. Sure, like birthday. <laughs> I hope I'm getting a cake. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.